This Week in Startups is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank, who has formed the COVID-19 Global Impact and Innovation Fund in partnership with Founders Pledge. This fund will deliver resources directly to organizations that can help make the most immediate impact in the fight against COVID-19. Learn more at svb.com impact. And LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Go to linkedin.com twist and get a $50 credit towards your first job post. Hey, everybody. It's This Week in Startups, and we are here taping during the coronavirus and quarantine. Just want to give a shout out and thank you to everybody who's working on the front lines. Uh, and I know some people who are working on the front lines actually have no choice. They need to make a living. Yeah. And so to those people, you know, I call you a hero, but you have no choice but to be there. So in a way, I, I understand you're a victim. You're a victim of circumstance, but it doesn't uh, take away from the respect we all have for you. Uh, delivering the Uber Eats, delivering the DoorDash, security, janitors, doctors, interns, nurses, everybody on the front lines. Thank you uh, for what you're doing for us. And as we sit here uh, thinking about all the lives that got saved for this incredible effort, uh, it's a tragedy that 50,000 people at the taping of this, I think we're at 50,000 today. Um, and this is a real tragedy, um, but it could have been 500,000. And yeah. so we have to sort of thank ourselves uh, for doing a good job of staying home, wear your masks, social distance. It's working, obviously, and better days are coming. With that, uh, now that we've gotten people's lives and addressed that issue, livelihoods matter too. 26 million people are unemployed, unemployed this week. Yeah. It's some scary stuff. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about one of the emerging jobs in the world. And that job is playing video games. Now, if I had known this in the 80s when I had my Atari, and my PC Junior. Uh, th this I never thought anybody would play video games for a living. I knew people made them for a living. Um, but my guest today is Delane Parnell. He is Delane on the Twitter, D-E-L-A-N-E, -E, and he's the CEO, founder of Play Versus, P-L-A-Y-V-S dot com. You can check it out. Um, Delane, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, now, your company, from what I understand is designed or was designed with the idea of creating sports leagues. We call them esports leagues, I guess. And esports leagues and maybe trying to tap into the high school player. Um, so maybe you could explain right up front what is playversus.com um, and how did it get started? Yes. Yeah, so uh, our vision at Playversus is to build, um, you know, a single... Uh, competitive community uh, for people who want to play video games competitively or otherwise known as esports online. Um, you know, we started our business by building out um, the competitive league around high school esports uh, in a way that's uh, very similar and sanctioned, um, uh, like high school football, basketball, baseball, et cetera. Um, and, you know, the way that we operate that is that we not only provide the league infrastructure, but we handle scheduling. We provide the sort of general foundational infrastructure by, you know, working directly with the game publishers, building out the technical integration to make the to enable that play, um, partner with the state associations to sanction the sport. Uh, and so we sort of provide that opportunity for high schools to build teams and, and players to compete. Um, and we also do that for college now, too. And so started the business two years ago um, while we have obviously greater ambitions. 
Right now, we're we're known as the company that builds uh, the official high school and collegiate esports leagues. How do you make money? Do the do the high schools or individuals just pay a ten dollars a month per person, like a Netflix subscription, consumer subscriptions, or is it enterprise where the school pays to put their students on it? How do you make money? Sure. Yeah. So we so we offer uh, multiple seasons every year, every school year, two seasons within two four month seasons every school year, and we charge sixty four dollars per player that participates uh, per season. Wow. And so good model. Uh, that's 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 you know generally paid for by the um, by the school. Anecdotally, we do know that like you know parents will give the money to the school and and then yeah. the school will make a one time payment though. And just ballpark. I know you guys have raised a lot of money of late. Is is this something that you know, thousands of people, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are participating in now? Yeah, look, we're, we're, uh, we've operated the business now for 21 months. I started the business in January 2018. Um, but the, the product's been live since October 2018. Uh, we're in, uh, 47 states. 20 of those states are sanctioned, meaning, you know, esports is treated with the same respect and recognition as basketball, football, baseball, et cetera. Um, we have, you know, tons of schools, um, thousands of schools participate in. Um, uh, we have tens of thousands of players participating and over wow. 100,000 players on our wait list. 100,000 on the wait list. So at 60 bucks a pop, yeah. So this business is doing millions of dollars a year. It's a real business. How many people work at the company now? Yeah, we're a pretty small company. Um, not by design, um, but uh, we're, we're 50-something people today. Wow. Um, and so how did schools decide to make this and recognize it as a sport, that seems to me to be one of those hurdles um, that would stop investors from wanting to invest in the company because I thought the schools looked at this as a distraction and something that was keeping kids up and actually a negative. Uh, And am I right in that assessment? And how did you overcome that objection? Because if half the schools have embraced it, does that mean the other half have either are indifferent or are they actually against this? as an activity that schools should support. Because when I was in school, they hated the idea that we were wasting time playing computer and playing video games. Sure, yeah. So on the investor holder, just to answer that first, um, look, we, we'd already had to deal with the NFHS, uh, which is uh, the National Federation of State High School Athletic Associations. They're essentially the NCAA of high schools. They're in the same office as the NCAA based in Indianapolis. And they've written the rules and governed high school sports and activities for the past 100 years. Um, and so what that means is they have these local offices, otherwise known as state associations, one in each state um, that they work with um, to um, sanction or recognize certain sports and activities, write the rules for them, um, create the structures for them. And then the states then deploy them um, into their markets um, and they operate state leagues, otherwise known as state championships for these different sports and activities. We partner with the NFHS in January of 2018. Um, to be their exclusive provider uh, for esports, um, everything online, offline, tournament, ex- exhibition, uh, season, uh, competitions, um, and uh, and you know we sort of leveraged that to go out and raise our our first round of funding because that gave us exclusive access to ninety three percent of the schools in the country. Um, and uh, in terms of you know how you know any objective objections, excuse me, to esports, um, look, it's. Uh, the reality is there's 60 million kids in high school um, today, but only 8 million actually participate in sports. It's not necessarily an interest or a capability thing. It's that sports aren't scalable, right? So 50% of the population um, are unable to to compete within these communities because there's only so many roster spots, right? Whether it's, yeah, That never made know, sense to me. I, I didn't understand that in high school. I was like, well, if 
you could only have 15 people on the basketball team. Why don't you just start five basketball teams and have five yeah, teams look, within the school and then run your own tournaments in the school? And uh, you could have people move up and down through them. I mean, it makes no sense. I think we had two, right? JV and... Yeah, so there's freshman JV uh, varsity across boys and girls. Yeah, look, I think uh, that's uh, that's certainly a fair point. Um, um, but that's just tradition. Um, uh, you know, schools, schools, uh, and high school sports specifically, youth sports, um, and just you know the sports community in general, they 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 make decisions based on legacy and tradition. Um, and and so you know, wow, uh, the only way today to like add more sports teams to a sport, especially at sort of peak scale, is just to add more schools. And we know that that's not that's not a trend that's happening. And so, um, you know, we looked at esports as an opportunity to engage not only those 8 million who already play sports, but more importantly, engage that 8 million who, do- who doesn't um, give them an opportunity to um, to find community within the school to compete um, in something that they care about, to be recognized for their talents. Um, and educators, they want that like that, you know, they're like they're very motivated to give kids opportunity to put kids on an improved life does anybody like any school say no this isn't for us i'm just curious if they or if that's just totally flipped because everybody's got kids at home and they recognize that this takes some level of skill and it, it does have some level of mastery some of these games are like playing chess i mean other ones the shooters i'm not sure if i have an analogy for that but some of them are very strategic yeah, many of them are strategic and multiplayer and team focus and require a deep level of understanding of the game and a lot of tactical um, ability to be able to execute well. We, we, you know, early on, I think there was a, an education barrier. We've certainly um, started to remove that barrier and build confidence around esports and its impact um, over the last 21 months of just operating our product live. Um, but yeah, there's, there's actually not that many objections to our business. We, we haven't had people, you know, sort of step up and say, we don't want this in our school or we don't want this in our state. You know, what the, uh, if anything, um, you know, the educators that we work with through the NFHS and the state associations and the districts and schools that we're, we're activated in, they're, they're all about how can we help you get this to more schools, uh, and reach more kids because, you know, they recognize the impact that this has on kids. And the reality is like, look, kids are already spending eight hours, uh, a week, if not more, playing video games at home, obviously. And, and when this, you said this eight hours, I was waiting for you to say a day. I mean, no, I, I mean, it, it, so, so certainly there's some outliers there, but I think the average is 72% of uh, American high school teens, you know, spend eight, eight and a half hours. That's a, the a average. What does somebody games. who's yeah. competitive spend? I got to sure, they spend probably, at least five yeah, hours a I'm day. I'm certainly, they're probably playing five to eight hours a day uh, easily. Yeah. Wow. If not more. Yeah. If, if you're a professional, I'd imagine it could be eight to 12 hours. So you get done with school at 2.33, get on your rig three till, I don't know, midnight. Nine yeah, look, hopefully, in. hopefully our kids are one doing their homework first, <laughs> um, getting some physical uh, exercise in, uh, and then maybe they're spending a few hours uh, a day after after all of that is said and done with parental consent to you know plan plan at home. But uh, but the way that esports is operated in the high school environment is very similar to to basketball and football and other sports. And so there's a there's a coach or multiple coaches at a school who oversee the program. There's support from administration. There's a, a dedicated facility within the campus, which could just be a room, right, with a bunch of computers set up. Kids often have their own dedicated setup with their own peripherals, um, and so they practice. Uh, play versus against other schools and they also uh, play their league matches you know on play versus competing against other schools and they do that all within the confinement of their respective school campuses all right when uh, we get back from this quick break i want you to explain how a kid from detroit who was uh working in cell phone stores as i understand it uh wound up meeting one of the uh top incubators and got funded 
and has now raised tens of millions of dollars for this and moved to Los Angeles, which is kind of the heart of the esports movement when we get back on the state of startups. As we navigate unprecedented times, Silicon Valley Bank believes that collective action is the best way to overcome the challenges we're up against. And boy, are we up against some challenges. This is why Silicon Valley Bank, alongside Founders Pledge, has formed the COVID-19 Global Impact and Innovation Fund. By mobilizing the innovation community, this fund will directly deliver resources to organizations around the world that can help make immediate impact. Silicon Valley Bank has made an initial $1 million investment to the fund. Very nice for this very critical work. And they invite you to join them by helping those in need. For 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has supported countless innovators with a passion for finding solutions and remains committed to helping our communities overcome the challenges we're up against. And Silicon Valley Bank firmly believes that the best ideas often thrive when extraordinary problems require extraordinary solutions. And I believe that as well. And I use Silicon Valley Bank and I love working with them. So here is your call to action. To learn more about Silicon Valley Bank's COVID-19 Global Impact and Innovation Fund and find out how you can donate, please visit svb.com slash impact. Once again, please go donate. I'm going to go donate right now. svb.com slash impact, I-M-P-A-C-T. Thanks again, Silicon Valley Bank, for providing amazing support to founders and uh, helping people get, get through this incredible crisis that we're uh, suffering through. Okay. Let's get back to this amazing episode. All right. Delane Parnell is here, D-E-L-A-N-E, on the Twitter, CEO and founder of Play Versus. You can go visit at playversus.com if you want to play video games as your after-school uh, activity or maybe in college. Uh, yeah, get your school to sign up. So how did this whole thing start? I, I, I know uh, that uh, you were, you're from Detroit. Uh, which has actually got a little bit of a startup town going on there, uh, just getting started. But you eventually met somebody very famous in the industry, and then you wound up uh, collaborating with them and moving uh, to Los Angeles, which is where I think esports is kind of centered these days, uh, SoCal. So tell me the story. How did this all get started? Yeah, so so just briefly, I think background super important. Um, born and raised in Detroit, grew up in the Jeffries Projects, then the west side of Detroit, raised by a single mother um, uh, because my father was uh, murdered before I was born. Um, and look, you know, um, my mom and my aunt uh, and some other, you know, uh, family members, uh, they, I guess, you know, assumed that I had a natural knack for business and entrepreneurship. Um, and they would buy me magazines, um, like business magazines, Forbes, Inc., you know, so on and so forth. Uh, and they would make me read them and they would sort of quiz me on them and they would just expose me to opportunities outside of, you know, uh, the streets or, you know, being an athlete. Uh, and it was, it was very unusual, I think, in our family because they didn't do that with anyone else. Like they certainly, you know, identify what other people's passions were and, and tried to double down on that. But for me in particular, like it was business. And it, so they sort of really doubled down on, um, you know, this knack that I have for entrepreneurship and the hustle that, that came with that. Um, and my mom, uh, got me a job at the cell phone store, um, when I was 13. Um, and this guy, Sam, who owned the cell phone store, just took me under his wing, uh, taught me everything about business, taught me about management, sales, uh, et cetera. And, uh, and yeah, eventually I went on to, to own some Metro PCS stores when I was in high school. And I would basically go to school, um, you know, get out at like 2.15, um, uh, you know, before I had a car, you know, a friend would take me or I would take this bus and sort of walk a mile, um, get to the store, get there maybe by three o'clock or three, three fifteen. I got to stop work. you for one second there. You just dropped that you owned a cell phone store when you were in high school. Just pause for a second there. How does a high school person wind up getting a cell phone store? Did your rich uncle gift it to you? How did you get a cell phone store? 
Yeah, I wish I had a rich uncle. Me too. Um, uh, yeah, you know, it'd be my, I'd probably be a billionaire already today. <laughs> no, I think, uh, um, no, look, I was, you know, I was, first off, I was working extremely hard. I, I basically stopped playing sports, stopped doing anything outside of business and work. Um, 13 onward, saved, you know, mostly every penny that I had, um, you know, reinvested that money into different, you know, other hustles, whether it be my homies who worked at shoe stores, you know, I would give them money to buy shoes and then we would resell them and I would take a healthy well, margin. Flipping. My brother. Yeah, Gary I mean, we were Vaynerchuk doing everything. flipping. Yo, it's we real. uh my 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 step pops owned uh uh he still owns a, a auto repair shop. Um and you know, his customers would want to sell their cars, but they weren't savvy with the internet. And so I would go take pictures of the cars, get them cleaned up, fixed up, uh, and I would invest my own capital into that. And then I put it on Craigslist and sell it for, you know, a thousand, two thousand dollar profit beyond what they wanted to sell it for. And so um, yeah, I was doing just a bunch of different hustles and, you know, stacking as much money as possible. That money was initially intended for me to go to college. Um, and, uh, and I realized that, you know, that wasn't necessarily the path that I wanted to take, um, early on. Uh, I knew I wanted to go to college, but I didn't want to use that money for college. Like I wanted to use that money to make more money. And so, um, you know, I worked at, um, uh, a Sprint and Nextel store, uh, and Metro PCS started to move into the market. I worked with this lady who ended up going to get a job at Metro PCS, um, basically approving franchise licenses and managing that market. Um, she, I reached out to, I was, I, the first thing I did actually, um, which, you know, I was, everyone turned me down. I, I basically, basically went to all of the neighboring stores in my area within like maybe a five to 10 mile radius. They knew who I was because like our store was like one of the biggest, you know, stores for, for the, the, the services that we sold. Uh, and they knew that I ran the store, um, by this time and I'm, I'm 16. You, and so you're I'm running a in. phone store at 16. You're the best salesperson. And yeah, then you easily. go to the other stores in the neighborhood. So what I, I went there to, to tell the owners, like, look, I want to, I have some money saved. I want to become an owner of the store. Um, and I can help you increase your sales and I can teach you strategies that we implemented to grow Sam's empire from one store to many stores. And, uh, a lot of them said no to me. Um, a lot of them didn't take me seriously, even if they knew my background and knew my track record and we ran well, into each I mean, other. In fairness, they were adults and you were 16 years old and you offered to buy their store. Well, it's, it's kind of a bold store. gambit. I mean, in fairness. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, well, I didn't. I didn't think about it in that that context. And uh, I guess did you have you a bank account that. at this point, or just like a, yeah, a briefcase yeah, so for I, cash? I went to I went to Southfield High School. I had cash and a bank account. I went to Southfield High School, uh, and we had a Michigan First Credit Union in our in our high school. And uh, and you actually got like ten dollars for starting an account. And so I you so know, started I wanted to get the ten dollars so I can <laughs> yeah so I could get uh get the account. And I, I would just deposit money there, and then I had a shoebox, um, you know, with a, you know a few thousand bucks. Uh, so none of them took you up in the offer to buy them no. out. Yep. Yeah. Well, buy into it. I wanted to become partners. And so right, none right, of them right. took me, uh, took me up on that offer. Um, but you know, one day, you know, this, my c- former colleague, she reached out to me and said, Hey, look, I had these two guys, their parents own some real estate and they're looking for, uh, a partner who is experienced, who knows about the market, who can sell, you know, phones, who knows all of the wholesalers, et cetera. And, uh, and they, 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 you know, want to meet you because I mentioned you to them. Now I haven't told them how old you are, but like, you know, I'll, I'll do so right before the meeting. Um, anyway, she sets the meeting up. They're pretty young too. They're like early twenties. Um, but they're like, look, if you can do what you say you can do and we, we trust her and have confidence in her, um, then we'll give you a shot. And so they let me buy into this, this partnership and we went from opening and they own the real estate they own the their, the their parents did yeah their so parents their did. parents and family members did. Yeah. so you couldn't get the people who had the stores so you went to the people who they paid rent to 
and then I mean, yeah, I, that's you know, smart I sort way of to fell in my lap. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even, you know, try to go that path. Like that wasn't, I didn't have visibility into that pathway. Um, I didn't know people who owned real estate at the time, but um, you know, luckily, I just built a really strong reputation. People knew me to work hard. People knew me to be um, an, an expert in this in this area and have just deep competency. Uh, and you know, people like me. And so, you know, I think that the universe sort of paid me back on that karma. And I luckily found some people who didn't, you know, discriminate or care about my age or you know what color my skin you know is, uh, and just wanted to give me an opportunity because they recognized that if you know if I won, they won. And uh, and you know, luckily that paid off. We went from one store to to three stores. We sold those stores, end up, you know, leveraging that opportunity and through my mom again, end up going to build this car rental with this guy named Mark. We ended up building a pretty big car rental business together, went to school for a semester, dropped out. Uh, and and it was actually the story of Groupon that really inspired me to get into tech. And that that that, you know, learnings and research around Groupon um, uh, led me to meeting this guy named John Treese at Ludlow, who gave me a ticket yeah. with the up to now StockX guys to go to the launch festival. And that Wait, blew my what? mind. I was... Oh, I start. I run the launch festival. Yeah, Wait a yeah. Second. So it's it's, hold on, it's a hold full on, circle hold on. moment here. So you're in Detroit. You meet my friend Jonathan Trees. Jonathan Trees would sponsor the uh, when I started Ticket. the launch festival. He would sponsor it. I give him like 20 tickets. Yeah, you got one of the golden tickets. So I sent them this super long email. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how many times we met in person prior to to this moment. But I sent them this long email. And I was just like, look, um, I pay for myself to get out there. Uh, but you know, I need the ticket and the tickets were decently expensive. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess I could have probably just bought one of my own, but like, why not? Well, I did, if, like, you know what I did was I made them free eventually. Cause I realized yeah. there was more people like you out there who needed the opportunity. So I used to give all the sponsors like 20, 50 tickets. They just invited somebody who could do it. But then we wound up giving 15,000 tickets away for free in the peak yeah, wow, year. That's amazing. Yeah. It's crazy. No, look, uh, uh, so I, so John, John, John gives me this ticket, uh, and it changes my life. Uh, I, was that first the first time, time you ever- came to San Francisco? First time I ever left Detroit on my own. First time I taken a, a flight. Wow. First time I booked a hotel. Wait, wait um, this is like ten years ago, I bet, or nine yeah, this years is ago. Like, I think eleven or twelve, two thousand wow. twelve. Yeah. So this is super so you early. Come like, out. I, I you actually get saw Uber for the first time. You know, when I was out there, that was when they were black cars still. Yeah, and you get to the launch festival and you see me on stage interviewing people. Yeah. And, you know, crazy inspirational moment for me. Um, uh, I met Thomas Court there actually. So, yes, so anyway, I, legit. Look, I come to the, I come to the launch festival. I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express by the airport because that was the only place that would let me book given my age. And that's about um, $89, $129. Yeah. I don't even remember how much it was, but like I had to talk to the general manager to convince him to let me even stay. And I didn't recognize how far it was. Right. And so I would take cabs to like get everywhere. And so, um, so yeah, so I go to the launch festival. The first thing I did was I watched you talk and interview a few people. And then I, you know, walked the demo pit and I talked to every single person in that demo pit. I guarantee you, no one sent more follow up emails after that to me. And every time I would get a card, I would kind of write after we stopped talking a couple points down, uh, like, uh, from like talking points down from our conversation and then sort of go to the next. And, uh, and you know what? I'm going to start the launch festival back up in, uh, in San Yo, Francisco. You have to. I, I, had no, it, I put it in, you know, at San Francisco, it was just breaking my chops too much. Like they, they were shaking me down and making me pay for extra video people who were no show jobs, like the unions here. They literally were protesting. They're like, you have, they're like, we, we need to have like four more video camera operators. I'm like, yeah, no, I got my own team. And they're like, yeah, you need four of our people. I'm like, no, no, I actually don't. I got, look, one, two, three, four. These are robotic cameras. These, I got this. They're like, yeah, no, you need four of ours or we're going to protest. Oh, wow. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. Just no, nonstop. Look. And I just got exhausted from them, like literally shaking me down. And I was like, I just can't do it here anymore because I'm trying to do it for free. 
Um, yeah. And the demo pit was my other idea for making it free, which was the demo pit. I gave a hundred people a free table each day, and it was three days, so three hundred people. And yeah, I said, a "Here's a here's a round table. If you need high Ethernet, top. high top, exactly, cocktail table, high top. It's free. If you need an Ethernet connection, uh, you can use the Wi-Fi, but that'll be down. Um, mm -hmm. If you need a cable, it's like." 500 bucks to get a cable there that'll help pay for the ethernet uh but i suggest you just bring your lte or have a cam presentation you don't need to pay anything and if you need yep. power i suggest you bring a laptop and a be extra battery pack but if you want power you got to pay like 100 bucks too to pay for this electrician so i just passed on those two costs to them and man so many people were like i i can't believe this is free and i'm like but it doesn't really cost me anything i just the event cost a million bucks we break even and changes lives so when we get back from here i want to know um, who was the best speaker at that event? And then how you flipped the event, because we heard how you flipped the cars into the job and uh, the Metro PCS into the stores, the Metro PS into the uh, car rental, into meeting Jonathan Treast, into getting into the demo pit and meeting all those people and sending emails. But I need to know the next connection of how the how Play Versus started when we get back after this quick break. Now more than ever, we need people with the right skills to support our communities, especially the frontline workers who provide resources and care for those most in need. To help, LinkedIn is offering free job posts for healthcare and essential service organizations that need to quickly fill critical roles with the people who help us all. How amazing is that? If you're hiring for one of these organizations, LinkedIn's active community of over 679 million members unbelievable how big it's gotten can help you find the right people for the frontline fast linkedin jobs screens candidates for the skills and experience you're looking for and it puts your job post in front of qualified people who meet your requirements so you can find the right person and you can fill critical roles quickly and properly with a talented person here's an example takeoffs.io is a launch portfolio company i invested in them and they build an ai enabled building materials marketplace it's a really cool product. And last year, their CEO, Chris, was trying to hire an AI, artificial intelligence engineer lead, which is really difficult. There's a lot of competition for these. and It's a very unique skill set. Well, he used LinkedIn jobs to find a perfect candidate after hearing about it here on This Week in Startups. And he got a candidate with a PhD in computer vision. And that employee has been with them for over a year. And he has rolled out several major projects. So here is your CTA, the old call to action. When it's time to hire and find the right person, LinkedIn is there to help. Plus, if you need to hire for healthcare or essential services, you can post your job for free. That's awesome, LinkedIn. Visit linkedin.com slash twist. Again, linkedin.com. You got that in your URL already. Just add slash twist, T-W-I-S-T, and you get that $50 for your first job post. Terms and conditions, of course, apply because they're giving you 50 bucks. Okay, let's get back. This is an amazing episode. All right, Delane Parnell is on the podcast, CEO and founder of Play Versus. I had no idea that I was in any way part of the story, but uh, I do think, you know, if you're out there and you're trying to um, make a name for yourself as an investor, what I always thought was this guy, um, uh, O'Reilly, Tim O'Reilly, and he had this idea about networks. He said, you just give more than you take. You just, If you give more than you take, you'll just get this incredible reputation and, and you'll, you just have to siphon off like 5% of whatever goodwill you're putting out in the world. Uh, and boy, has that worked for me in, in, in some of these investments I've made. So you came to that. That's great. Awesome. And then what happens next? Yeah. So, so yeah. So I'm like, you know, going through this demo pit, you know, meeting everyone, following up with everyone. And then one day I run into Thomas Court. 
Uh, and I think he was a, he was speaking, and then I sort of hunted him down. Angel after. investor, yeah, great guy. Yeah, and this was before Angel. But this was like him and his wife, I believe, were starting AngelPad, but they hadn't run a cohort. Um, and I be, he was like, "Look, I gotta." He's like, "You can walk and talk with me. Go to the. Uh, I would have to go through the demo pit." And he had this like notepad, and I was like, "Look, I've already seen every company, so let me take you to something that we're really interested." And so we basically do that. Oh, so and, smart. And right after, by the way, he was like. Man, I should tell Jason that he should do this for everyone. Like, like every speaker and investor should have a person who, like a VIP you know, concierge, like an analyst. Yeah, exactly. You were an analyst. And so, yeah, exactly. And so Thomas says to me, "Hey, you should come work at like you should work at this thing. Like you should move here and you know work at this thing that I'm doing." And it was AngelPad, and he's like, "I can't pay you." Like he was very upfront. But and you know because of that, I was like, "Ah, you know, I'm, I'm this kid from Detroit. I'm you know, money is a you know super important resource for me as it is for everyone. But certainly, given you know how you know we were in poverty, you know, and so like I needed to make money to be able to take care of myself to help my family out. And so I didn't I didn't factor in how big of an opportunity that was at the time because Oops. one, just lack of knowledge um, in the space and understanding. Um, but then two, you know, just given that you know I equated uh, opportunity to money, like whatever allowed me to make money." Um, versus, you know, gain experience. So either way, like, you know, nothing ever happened there, but we sort of, you know, followed up and sort of stayed in touch. And and there was another thing that happened. I ended up meeting uh, David Cohen from Techstars through, because of Minbox. So Alex uh, Mimran, who won Best Design um, uh, from Minbox, him and I- We were investors in Minbox, yeah. Okay, yeah. And so- um, so him and I basically end up linking up somehow and we end up basically like just being together a lot during the, um, during the event. And we end up catching an Uber together to like, I think it was like a W hotel or something like that. And every, like everyone was ringing his phone when after they won and like on our way to like find whatever this thing called Uber was. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and I was just like blown away and, you know, him and I were just kind of talking about some of the decisions that he wanted to make around. Cause I think the prize was to like a spot in tech stars or something like that. And so like what he wanted to do. And, um, and yeah, it was just like, man, it was just such a eye opening experience for me. You know, I left there and went back to Detroit and a couple of things happened for me. One, from seeing you do those interviews, I recognized that that's like a format, right? A fireside chat. So I started hosting my own events in Detroit. And this is before Dan had bought a building, before any really big venture funds. And, and these, these, these events become really popular. Um, you talk about Dan Gilbert? Yeah, this is yeah before Dan Gilbert had Who owns purchased the, Cle- the building. Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, he owns the city of Detroit and the Cleveland Cavaliers and Quicken Loans, which is you know one of the biggest yeah. private companies in the world. And so, yeah, before before he done any of his investments in the city, like you know, I was basically doing a lot of grassroots stuff with a handful of people in the entrepreneurship community around these events, and I would call them uh, fifty founders. Uh, that was the initial name, and the concept was I was going to convince my favorite fifty founders to come to Detroit, do a fireside chat. Um, and That's a brilliant I, idea. I like the yeah, branding. You got a, you got a thing for the branding. Fifty founders, yeah, yeah. pretty good. <laughs> and so initially, I ended up like changing it. I mean, eventually, I ended up changing the name to uh, to um, uh, God, Starter Talks. Yeah, because uh, Jason Freed from uh, uh, in Chicago signals. from you know Basecamp. He thirty seven uh, signals. Yeah, yeah, thirty seven signals. He he basically talked about like the concept of a starter, basically uh, instead of like replacing the word entrepreneur. And I was like, oh, I like that. I like that concept. Like, I'm going to change the name to Starter Talks, and uh, and we end up bringing guys like Alexis Ohanian and Charles Adler from Kickstarter and um, sure. tons of other folks to Detroit, um, and it was it became like this thing, you know. And Dan eventually, you know, his team ended up supporting it pretty heavily, um, and yeah, it was just this big thing. And I sort of leveraged that opportunity, and because I had all these relationships with entrepreneurs, and I wanted to like events. Um, 
you know, you, you mentioned this, you know, about like even the city of San Francisco, like we know that like events are in t- a very difficult business to monetize. And I had this, I had great empathy for entrepreneurs and I wanted to find a way to support them, but I also needed to be able to monetize the time I was spending there. And, um, you know, I ended up basically deciding to go try to find a job at a venture fund. It had a few offers. Um, because like that was sort of the best way. Like I had these relationships. I had good deal flow. Um, you know, people in Detroit lack relationships on the coast between San Francisco, LA and New York. And I had decent, decent Rolodex of people who like me from those, those places because of my relationships, um, through the events. And so Tom Lasorda, who was the CEO of Chrysler, ended up doing one of my events and ended up offering me a job at this venture fund that him and Roger Pinsky and Dieter Zetsch from Mercedes Benz was starting. Uh, and you know, I went and, and did that. Um, left there, went to uh, go work at this uh, startup that Dan had put thirty million into called Rocket Fiber on the, on the early team, and then it was there where I got really deep into esports. And uh, and fast forward, you know, sort of meet Peter Pham uh, just by happenstance in Austin, Texas at South by. Um, so you go to uh, South and, by, and you literally run into my man Peter Pham. Yeah, yeah, Peter. Uh, where well, I didn't necessarily run into him. We were at this house party called the Culture House, and I was oh, walking I by to find my boy Marcus Carey, who's a phenomenal entrepreneur that Dan actually just recently backed uh, in Detroit and from Detroit. And uh, and yeah, and 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 Susie from um, uh, I guess what I, their fund is called Cross Culture, but I think they partner with Macro, so it might be a different name. But she works with Troy Carter. She she grabs me and say, "Hey, so do you know do you know Peter?" And um, you know, Peter is dancing. If you, anyone yeah, knows no, no, Peter no. family, they know Peter's his whole out, thing. he's dancing. Yes. Yo, Probably Peter's with his shirt only, off. Show is the only person shirt on or in shirt his entire off. house party dancing. And he had a speaker, like there's a DJ and he was right next to the DJ, but he had a speaker on his belt, which was with, super weird. Shirt on, shirt and off. Peter Fam shirt, shirt was on. on. Oh, shirt, shirt was on. on. Shirt on. Yeah, okay, so it was early. I've, it was I've seen him with seven thirty. Yeah, it was super early. It was, it was like, like seven, two o'clock. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was super early. After seven thirty, shirts off. Shirts off. Seven thirty. By the way, Peter's ripped. You know, people. No, are I know. Man. That's why his shirts yeah. off. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, I mean, and he Peter, can dance. He can dance too. I mean, sometimes a little provocative, but like he can dance. Sure. No, trust me, because my wife likes to dance, and then like. Every time we go, like we've been on vacation a couple times, we've gone out a couple times, and it's just like I need a break. I'm not like some big dancer, you know. I'll just go on the dance floor, I'll bounce a little bit to the beat or whatever. But you know, I just want to sit and chill and pop a bottle or something. And then like he's grabbing my wife and spinning her around on the dance floor. <laughs> I'm like, Peter, okay, enough. Put your shirt back on and put my wife. Yeah, I've taken Peter the- to some rap parties, like rappers' parties. Uh, like recently, we went to Meek Mill's party, and. Uh, it got so crazy. They called Peter onto the stage and Peter was dancing with my homie PJ Kev, who's, you know, really big in hip hop and culture, you know, part of the Dream Chaser family. And so, uh, it was, it was insane. And celebrities were like tweeting about Peter the next day, you know, following him online. <laughs> it was pretty insane. It's a bit yeah, much. No you know, the thing is Peter's got a little bit of the OCD. And so True. like his brisket game is also getting very tight. And, you know, I, I'm smoking my brisket, pretty famous for my brisket out here in, in the Valley. And then I wake up and I just see this guy with the butcher paper and he's got bark on that brisket that's just like, <laughs> it literally is, I don't want to even say it, but he's got better bark on his brisket than I do. And I'm just like, I got up my bark game here. Listen, Peter has, you know, he uses a lot of gadgets. So so take it with a grain of no, salt. No, I know. It's just ridiculous. It's just Peter Pham is just so focused. And, yeah. Know. So Peter, I mean, I'm so a better Peter's... investor, but he's definitely got a better body, <laughs> was... better dancing and better bark. I mean, Peter, I'm better uh... at investing than him, but that's the only thing. Like in terms of our careers, I'm better at our careers, but the ex- okay. you know the extracurricular stuff he's definitely better at. 
Hey, well, look, both of you guys have amazing careers. <laughs> I'm just that. I'm effing with you, Peter. I know, I know. I haven't got so, Peter on the pod. I know. I got Peter on the pod. So wait, you meet him and you yeah, pitch so, him on what? I don't pitch him at all. And oh. so, you know, we're, we're just talking about esports because Susie's like, hey, you know, you should talk to Delane. He's thinking about esports. And yeah, Peter and I, uh, I'm, I'm, we're talking. He's like, how do you think about the space, et cetera? And so um, he's like, yo, give me, we're talking for like 30 minutes and just high level esports. And he's like, yo, give me your info. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to call you. And so I give him my phone number. I don't really think anything of it. And the next day he calls me. He's like, hey, I've been thinking about what you've been thinking about, but you should think about that um, from a go to market around high school. Um, given some of the challenges that I laid out. And so, you know, he asked me to come to LA, spend a bunch of time with his partners, Mike, Tom, Greg, um, and the rest of their team. And over a few month period of time, I do so. And then, you know, I, I was dragging my feet, truthfully. And Peter reaches out to me and was like, look, you could be a millionaire in Detroit or a billionaire in LA, but like, don't waste my time. And literally got off the phone with him, uh, called my brother, packed everything that I own in my place, gave it away. Um, you know, took my car to the dealership, found a place uh, in Playa Vista and moved to L.A. Like I was in L.A. by that weekend, like Saturday. Did you have um, the idea totally hashed out or you just had this no. idea that esports was a thing? And then how much of the idea was like Peter's or yours or you just riffed on it? How did the idea actually manifest itself? Yeah. So like my, my vision and it sort of still remains the same is, look, we want to build the um, competition infrastructure around amateur esports. We want to be the single place where every single person who wants to play esports, whether it's in a head to head match, a tournament or a season on behalf of your school or otherwise, you you like we want to be that place where you do so. And we want to monetize that through subscription. We essentially want to build a hundred million plus user subscription business um, uh, around. You do e-sports. realize that only five people have done that in the history of humanity. Sure. So Verizon. Expect- Netflix, Netflix, Spotify, Spotify, Amazon, Amazon, correct, Prime. Yo, uh, it's all good. Wait, does so somebody we'll else? Next. AT&T yeah. get there? Com- no, Comcast never got there. AT&T never got there. Disney's going to get there. Disney will be. Yeah, yeah. and play versus. And, and play so, versus. Yeah, or, so, you know, we're look, look, the reality is like no one, no one's, uh, no one's done that. Gaming is like one of the biggest entertainment, um, you know, consumptions and behaviors where no one's aggregated um all of that into a there's single no platform. amazon like, prime or netflix for sure i mean yeah but like the in like you could say that like maybe twitch or discord like these different platforms they're not subscriptions there's a they're not subscription they got a different model and beyond that they're only they're aspects of gaming and so they're sort of this emerging platform attached to a specific aspect of gaming so broadcast communication even if you think about steam from valve that's distribution the essence of why people game is competition no one's built a competition mm. platform that has aggregated this behavior and the reason is because you need to work with game publishers and publishers similar to like record labels are are uh you know move hollywood studios like they're very wall guarded they if they don't build for third-party connection they don't care about ecosystem if they could be the only company that does that or do what they do like they they would you know they wouldn't work with anyone you uh you you read the mike ovitz book it's incredible he's, he's supposed to come on the pod I've, i'm like three or four emails into it with him but now that's virtual there's no reason for him not to come on the pod yo uh i haven't read the book but i know ovitz uh he's he's one of my two ceo coaches him and dick Costello. um and i mean he's just a legend man you know i was actually All right, so i can't I saw, get him can you can you do me a favor i I'll mean i helped you out it. with the launch festival can you put in a good word with me with mr yeah, ovitz I'll, to- I'll text him right after this and I'll say, look, man, you have to do this week in startups. I just did as a big deal. Thank you. I, I appreciate it, Delaney. Um, 100%. Since my Ovis producers is, uh, can't get it done. I'll every every you, time Delaney. I've ever went out to eat with Ovis, we've never looked at a menu and we've never paid. Um, we just go. Oh, did you go down. to his sushi place? I've been there too. Yeah, that's um, pretty tight. Yeah, that's and actually fire. 
in yeah, the corner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They don't even let you park if he's coming. You know, I'm, I'm like, yo, I need the valet too. Uh, so he's a cool no, cat. He's a cool, he's all a my friends dude. are very good friends with him. I met him like two or three times. Uh, and uh, the book is incredible. I can't believe you haven't read the book yet. No, I'll read it. Um, I listen was actually, to it. I, I, listen to it. It's a great listen. It goes okay, by cool. Real yeah, quick. I'll do that. I, I want to talk to him about the Travis Kalanick story. I was, uh, I was watching an interview from like 2011 or 12. Yeah, that's a crazy story. Yeah, Kalanick was talking about how you know Ovitz had basically sued listen, him. Listen, there were a couple things that <laughs> you know in the Ovitz history of like you know dead fish on a hood of a car for a journalist kind of situation. Mm. Wow, that yeah, was I'm settled. Not surprised. There was a guy Anthony Pelicano or something. Anyway, it, it got rough and tumble. There were some people doing some crazy stuff in the 90s. But I Ovis think Mr. Ovitz had nothing to do with that. He's like that, the godfather. I think, listen, Mr. Ovitz has always acted in the highest moral and ethical uh, way. 100%. That's my Look, position, 100. Mike, if you need any character witnesses, you have both me and Jason. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, it's not like I haven't dug a ditch in my day. Listen, I've had to do some <laughs> things in Brooklyn when I grew up. Um, all right. So how do you interface with the publishers because my understanding was they see the community aspects as as a big part of their game i know especially with Fortnite um and league of legends i think they run their own stuff don't they or not explain to me how this all works can can you run i mean is there any reason you can't run competitions through your platform if you're just people are subscribing to you as a way to do matchmaking sure can they stop you from using it so that's a, that's a, there's a lot to unpack there. I'll just briefly say too. So, you know, didn't have the idea when I first moved to LA, spent six months really working against it. Matt Mazio from KOTU prior lowercase gave Peter Pham the idea around going to marketing high school. Peter never disclosed that, but Mazio ended up investing in. So that's how I found out, you know, we start the company in January to your point around publishers. Like, you know, I do that, you know, six months in 2017 from like June or July through December, you know, I spent a lot of time. You know, I'm not only thinking about like the broader vision, but specifically how we're going to go to market around high school, how we're going to add value back to this community and give them incentive to play, how we're going to do so in a legitimate way and, uh, and find kind of this effective distribution channel. We end up discovering that through, you know, our relationship with the NFHS, just given that's how all sports, you know, essentially operate or, you know, scale within our country through the NFHS and state associations. Um, and. You know, uh, initially, like I was hoping, like sign publishers first and then leverage the publishers to get the NFHS. But what I found is that, like, you're right, like IP holders don't like if you don't have any leverage or you don't have any value for them, you know, them working with you to build something is like doesn't help them create new content and sell that content, you know, and create more jobs and revenue, et cetera, for their business. And so they're unlikely to work with you. However, at this time, like esports is this like growing thing. Publishers are starting to develop their competency. Um, they, a lot of them, as you mentioned, like they run their own events. Those events are at the pro level. So all of the publishers have sort of decided that like pro is where their competency will fall and they'll build their infrastructure internally around pro events. A lot of those events are live. So they're not online play. Everything in amateur, which is, you know, the you know 2.4 billion gamers in a row besides a thousand pro players, um, like that's sort of up for grabs. But um, the only way that you can actually build a big company there is to have relationship with the publisher because you need to integrate with them both operationally 
and technically, and you obviously need the rights, commercialization rights to be able to monetize on their game and to be able to operate on their game. And many people in esports actually don't do that. Like they, they just try to, they act as if this is, you know, basketball and you can go to a Dick Sporting Goods and start your own league. And many investors have like lost money because they just invest in these companies without talking to, um, you know, the publishers and asking about the status of their relationship or lack of relationship. Um, and, you know, journalists are no better, right? Like they write about these companies without taking into account that they might be doing things that they they can't actually do because they don't have the proper rights. And so, you know, I end up basically, you know, doing that deal with the NFHS to secure distribution into a unique owned audience, right, of high school kids in our country um, and leveraging that to go out and get the publishers. Because if you're a publisher and you want to have a professional league, you're spending millions or hundreds of millions of dollars into the development of that, then at some point you're going to need, need a sustained ecosystem around talent. So whether it be yeah, coaches or Why would they rebuild it players. if you have it? They could just let you... you know, it's, it's just a significant risk for them, right? Because they they would have to build that infrastructure to support every high school for every IP. And many publishers have, you know, a bunch of different games and a lot of their games are esports and they're separate teams. Like they're, maybe they have some shared resources, but they're standalone teams. And so if they wanted to be like Activision Blizzard where Bobby Kotick wanted to build high school, then he would need to build it for Hearthstone, for Starcraft, for, you know, Overwatch, for... Shout out um, Starcraft too. Yeah, That's like what whatever I game, right? Whatever esports. So that could... That Protoss could end up being life. five or six or seven different teams doing the exact same thing. How, it's how massive much, uh, risk, not really scalable. How, how far behind the times am I as a uh, StarCraft Two is the only game I play? Yeah, you're you're you're, square, you're right? super far behind. Yeah, super far, like, uh, super square. Yeah, we got you're not a square. I mean, people still play StarCraft Two uh, and Star like people love StarCraft in general as a as a as a series. Um, but like, yo, you got to catch up, man. There's tons of games out here. I um, tried this um, League of Legends. It's a difficult game. I suck at League of Legends. I'm There's the worst two, League of Legends player two, known to men. Explain to me, because it kind of broke my brain. There are so many characters and so, ma- so many abilities, and it keeps changing. Like, in order to just have a base level of knowledge of League of Legends, to, to get a base level of knowledge, it's got to be like 500 hours. Yeah. Uh, easy. I mean, I don't easy. know the exact amount of hours, but I could totally see 500 hours. Um, but they're, they're, look, the kids have time to do that. Like people, people, I have kids, enjoy so I don't have, have time, time to do that. do that. Yeah. You know, there's, there, I gotta there get are my people... daughter to start playing League of Legends with me because there's no, the only way I'm ever going to get good at this is if I can, because I have to spend time with her. Maybe I get her to do it with me. I, she's been watching me. You know who some... does that, by the way? Who? Mike Jones uh, from uh, Science. Him, ah. his daughter, and his son, they have, like, he's the, uh, basically a dad of uh, two League of Legends uh, clubs between his his son and his daughter. And he then, you know, organizes competitions for them. And uh, and uh, he obviously coaches, like, their soccer teams and stuff like that. But, like, that's one of his favorite activities to do with his kids is, like, you know, set up league that's matches actually between one of the friends. cool aspects of this is that there, does gen- gender doesn't even play into this. Are there girl leagues versus boy leagues or is it just all one league? Yeah, no. So, I mean, the, the beauty of, of at least what we do uh, is that it's co-ed. So boys and girls on the same team also compete against each other. And because That's amazing. Because they're like an actual physical in-school environment, um, it's actually less toxic too, right? Girls who play online, they often- um, Get harassed. You know, yeah. Get harassed, yeah. Um, and, you know, when, when they're playing in an environment with people that they know and trust, uh, and that's a safe environment because there's adult supervision, it's actually a really safe environment yeah. for them to do something they love. Actually, and, and, that's and we've the actually reason realized for pe- that- 
because, you know, many of our championship teams at the state level have women players or women coaches and they love it. They absolutely love uh, uh, the fact that they can do something that they enjoy and, you know, build genuine friendships. Well, one with, of the things with, I would never do is let my kids play on those services because I know the adults on those services, predators on those services, there's people are saying crazy stuff. I mean, you've heard the you know, clip transcripts from like Xbox streams where people are just yeah. saying every bad word you could imagine and just really brutal. Like, and then there's 12 year olds and 14 year olds on those services. But what's great about this is if it's in a school setting, there's a code of conduct and there's a ramification. If you were to say certain words on the stream, you would get kicked off the team. Yeah. And we, we also limit the communication player to player in general. Ah. Um, so, you know, players like because school A plays school B, they don't travel to each other. So like players are generally not communicating against the other teams. There's no like chat functionality built into our product for players, but coaches can communicate. Um, and, and you'd be surprised. There are, there are some instances where one coach is too passionate. Um, and are more passionate than another, uh, not necessarily too passionate. And they might, you know, jump out the window and say some things that are against, you know, our the coaches might lose issues. Yeah. I mean, would look, they do what the Patriots do and like just be all out cheaters? Have you found people like the New England Patriots who just cheat? No, our, our, no, our no Patriot cheaters and, and, uh, an incredibly high competitive integrity. Like we all take it very seriously at the company and obviously our community as well. And so, yeah, we haven't, you know, knock on wood, we haven't, uh, uh, you know, found anyone cheating, um, within this environment. And so nobody likes the New England are, Patriots cheating. These are, co- these are coaches that are faculty members at a school who recognize that there are consequences to, to those sort of actions, including their job. So, yeah, so they don't cheat like the Patriots is what you're saying. Well, I don't know if the Patriots cheated. In fact, the no, Patriots it's just my way really of trolling New England. It's yeah, listen, tro- yo, the Patriots and Robert Kraft have given us their facility for our Massachusetts State Championship. Okay, I, okay so I like can't slip. Okay, I understand. Yo, so listen, gotta... we're big fans of the Patriots. Absolutely big fans of the Patriots. Uh, I, uh, I take it all back. Thank you for all your support. I'm just yeah. saying that even with, all the, <laughs> even with all the alleged cheating by Bill Belichick, they still didn't beat the Giants, though, which is interesting. You know, Nick? They tried to beat the Giants, but they lost in the Super Bowl to the Giants, right? If I mean, I remember Giants correctly? This, that one lucky catch from Plaxico Burris or whatever his name is. It's 2012, um, you know, and they the cheaters lost. They as much cheating as they allegedly do, they still couldn't beat my Giants. Hmm, that's interesting. New England fans, come at me at Jason Twitter at Jason uh, on uh, <laughs> Tumblr at Jason on. Talk about Saquon's quads. quads. <laughs> it's insane. It's the size um, of that table. <laughs> So the road, you've raised $97 million for this. And I just want to take a moment because you talked about like, hey, some people maybe don't invest in people who are my color and, you know, from where I'm from. When you look back at this incredible journey and you're assessing uh, diversity in tech and the ability of somebody who's a nobody, who's flipping cars and uh working at metro pcs uh to break into this industry you did it what do people who assume you cannot break into this industry and you got mike ovitz as a coach um don't forget my boy dick costello what's that and dick costello respect yeah, dick, uh, dick's amazing dick's a great guy he's a great guy um we were both uh he just invested in a company a density that i'm was one of the launch festival companies. I don't oh, remember yeah. density. The I, I, people I, counter? I actually hung out with Andrew, the uh, the CEO, uh, at dinner not long ago. Uh, Love that company. Um, company. Ludlow is an investor in that company. That's how I found out about. I it. I introduced him to Jonathan. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. 
So here you are, you broke into it, just like I broke into it, kid from Brooklyn, kid from Detroit. The tech industry seemed to me, as somebody who broke into it, it wasn't in, there was an, I I had a hard time figuring out all this information because I had to get it from magazines, then it all went online. What I used to do to try to get into events is I couldn't get into the events either, and the events were $4,000 back then. So what I would do is I would lobby crash. So oh, you got in through Jonathan, but I would just hang out in the lobby. And then eventually Esther Dyson or Kara Swisher or Tim O'Reilly would literally hand me a badge and be like, Jason, just go in. Like they would literally just, you know, give me the miracle. But what what do you think about race and tech? And, you know, people sort of look at tech and say, hey, this is like a bunch of Stanford white guys, whatever. Um, and an African-American is going to have uh, the deck stacked against them. What's true? What's not true? How has it changed? What can you tell other people who maybe feel like it's hard to get into this business and break into it as somebody who not only broke into it, but took over? Yeah, sure. Look, this is a, this is a, a big topic of discussion and there's a lot to unpack there. Um, but yeah, look, it's, it's the, 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 the deck is totally stacked against, you know, people of color. Um, and just because I've had success, um, doesn't mean that, you know, um, the, the industry, um, you know, has, has found a new appreciation for, um, people of color and, you know, black entrepreneurs specifically. Um, look, you know, I'm an outlier and, uh, you know, of whatever 40, 50, 60, 70 years of venture capital to, you know, be a solo founder, to be this young, to go out and raise this much capital in such a short period of time from top investors. But there's tons of other founders who look just like me who deserve those opportunities, who may be even further along than, than we are today or, or were when we raised that capital. Uh, and they don't get that opportunity. I don't know if I got that opportunity if it wasn't for a guy like Peter Pham, you know, truthfully supporting me and backing me and leveraging his, you know, uh, uh, recognition and credibility in the space to give me, give me an edge. Um, and so, yeah, look, you know, uh, VCs need to start hiring people, um, of color on their teams and in meaningful positions beyond, um, the assistant or the person who does, you know, diversity and inclusion events, um, or, you know, just having one person in a room just to say they do. Um, uh, so what you're uh, saying there you know, is a lot of this VC hiring is they're hiring, hiring marginalized people and marginalizing them inside the organization. Yeah. Look, they're just trying to, they're just inventorying. They're like, oh, we need inventory. a diversity person. Yeah. We need let's, a number here. Yeah. Let's, let's put the number. Yeah. Yeah. Let's put, and uh, then we, we need an assistant. you know what the let's, move is too? Then they alpha, I always, t- I can always tell when they're doing this too, because they alphabetize the uh, page for the team. Because sure, you used yeah. to put the team, like the people, the founders up top, then the next year, then the next year, then the support team, which makes yeah. sense. Like if you were coming to a website, you would want to know who's in charge the executives here. First, yeah. They're just like, you know what? Let's put it alphabetical so that we can have the diversity. Um, and that's so lame. I mean, listen, it's something, but I agree with you. It's kind of lame. Like you have to yeah, have check I'm, writing ability at some point. I mean, yeah, check writing abilities. Um, we need, uh, uh, you know, you need to, you, you need to have, uh, locations and places where people of color are, are present, like, or at least travel there, right? Atlanta, Detroit, Chicago. Um, uh, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's even communities here in LA, Inglewood, you know, um, uh, any, any, like Inglewood. You know, I spent uh, a Ingl- lot of time in Inglewood uh, when I lived in LA. You know why? Why? Hollywood Park. I've never been there. Hollywood yeah. Park is uh, a casino and racetrack, and I used to go down there and play poker. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I don't. I would I don't play, poker play poker from ten p.m. I finish up at five or six a.m. Go home, take a shower, eat breakfast, and then go to work. <laughs> That's oh, how wow. degenerate I was with my friend's yeah, guy dating. Just, we would go play overnight. That sounds like a whole Molly's game. 
type vibe. I was invited to Molly's game over and over again. I didn't go because oh, that's I was insane. Uh, they'd be like, Molly would text me, "Hey, uh, Leo's here and uh, Toby's here, and they really want to oh, see you." Crazy. I was like, yeah. "They want to see me lose fifty grand. They don't want to see me." Yeah, these guys yeah, are sharks insane. like toby mcguire is a great poker player i play with toby many times and he is a great poker player who likes to inflict pain on people yeah no so that's what crazy would, if you were giving advice to a founder who is underrepresented and you said hey listen here's the straight dope just let me just give you five bullet points of how i did it or you were writing your book and you had to just write a summary of it for the book publisher here's the five things do this, 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 and this. This is the best way to get in. I mean, I could, I have my own thoughts just hearing your story, but I want to hear what you think you did right and what you would tell, you know, the next uh, person coming up who couldn't get in. Yeah. Yeah. I, look, I've, I haven't thought about this. So I'll give you things that um, come sort of top to mind. But, uh, but even then, too, I just want to make note that, you know, even if they do all five of these things and more... Um, you know, it's, 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 likely that, you know, they don't, they still don't get the opportunity, certainly not this grand. Um, you know, just because look, the, you know, the, the way that this industry is set up is designed. And I mean, this country even, you know, is designed to, you know, suppress black people or people of color to not give us opportunity. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I think there's a number of things that we can do to change that. Obviously we should put pressure on our VCs to do that. I didn't even take a check, by the way, from uh, a founder, I mean, an investor who hadn't already supported another black person. Um, that was a, a, a very, you know, consistent question that I asked every fund. You know, I remember walking into Sequoia and, um, and there was interest from Sequoia and, you know, they have that wall with all of the, the yeah. logos up there of like their successful companies. And I asked the, the person I'm sitting across, I'm like, Hey, how many of those founders are black? And they were like, none that I believe, you know, you could be the first. And I was like, look, you know, I don't want to be the first. Like, uh, I want to, I want to go to, uh, and be part in partnership with uh, a group of people who, who already support people like me, uh, who understand me. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I'm luckily I found that at NEA, they're amazing. Uh, another big thing for me was that, you know, if we're going to have a board, the independent seat on the board had to be a woman. Um, and, you know, NEA also believed in that and they doubled down on that um, through the term sheet. And so, yeah, I think, um, you know, all of those things were, you know, diversity in general and inclusion in general are super important to me. And I think in tech specifically on the VC side, like there's a number of things that we can do on the company side. Look, I think one of the certainly like, you know, we want more people of color engineers in these sort of higher or highest paid positions at the company. We want more uh, people of color executives, but we also need people of color in HR positions. Um, that's actually something that a lot of people don't talk about. Like, you know, Why is that HR, important? I mean, I have, yeah, I can I mean, read into it, yeah, but you explain. Sure. Why. Yeah. Look, I mean, HR is how you get your foot in the door. HR is, you know, the, the people who understand who you are and make the decisions about if you stay or not, if some sort of dispute comes up. Um, or, you know, maybe if you imagine being, I had a friend who worked in private equity and he was the only black person on an all white male team mostly. Um, and, you know, like they didn't, they just didn't understand them. They were like very basic things like, you know, the, the way if his hair would like get too long, they would make comments about it. Um, and, and, you know, oftentimes they would even report these things to HR as if he made them uncomfortable. Um, and if you have people of color in HR positions, like they're able to course correct that because they're able to educate people um, who lack education around interactions or knowledge of people of color, even something as simple as your hair. Um, um, and uh, and so, yeah, we need to we need to have more people of color in HR um, to open up the, the doors to like get us in, to train us, to give us grace when we make mistakes, um, to give us um, to invest in us from like a professional skill set development. Um, and uh, and yeah, and like that's a that's a super important you know role that that a lot of people don't talk about. 
Um, and you know, you know what the thing we, that was... at Play Versus, by the way, the last thing I'll, I'll add here before I let you speak, sorry, Jason, um, no, no, go. is that, you know, at Play Versus, we, uh, you know, we were looking for a head of a talent. Um, and, you know, my team had interviewed a bunch of people. Um, and we, we were even going to put an offer out on someone, but I believe in it so much. I was like, look, I'm going to go find the best person of color to represent you know, our company in this position. And we luckily found this guy named Charles who was at Airbnb and then Facebook before and sort of brought him on as a head of talent. And, and I know a lot of, you know, founders in the, in the black community saw that and it was like, wow, a black CEO, a black head of talent at, you know, a hot startup. Um, you know, and like, you know, like that, like we should make this a trend. Like we should, we should. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty to, clever. To I gotta be honest. Beautiful. It's super clever. How has it been for you since you have that intentionality to find the talent you need? Because uh, African Americans might be underrepresented in certain job roles, and do you, do you have to work harder to to draw people, or do people look at it and say, "Oh, black CEO, black HR director, I can feel comfortable coming to this company," and you get this advantage, uh, a, a diversity advantage, because you're showing people, just like you said, "Hey, maybe this venture firm hasn't done a lot of investment in people who look like me. Um, maybe I need to go." Uh, find another venture firm, people are going to do the opposite. They're going to come to your firm, right? Sure. Yeah. Look, there's, there's certainly people who are interested in working, um, at, at Play Versus because, you know, I'm a, I'm a young black CEO and I've done stuff that no one other, um, no, no, no other person has done that, that, you know, represents our community. And that's certainly, uh, amazing. And we obviously love that sort of influx of volume that we get because of that. Um, but, you know, I really would say that we have probably one of the most diverse companies ever, even at this stage. You walk into Play Versus and you see all sorts of shades. You see a good balance of men and women. Um, you see, you know, people who worked in education, people who worked only in tech, you know, people who founded companies before. Um, so just across the board, like it's a very diverse group of people, uh, even at the executive level. And, and the only reason that, 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 that exists and our company looks like that relative to even in, in, you know, other portfolios for some of our investors, you know, all of these companies are all white men or all white men and women, um, is because we are intentional. And sure, it takes, it takes more time to make hires. It requires tons of hard work and, uh, uh, and effort. It requires you to go to places to find talent that you normally wouldn't go to. It it may even require you, require you to have a decent relocation budget to to move people to to whatever market you're in, but like it's important um, because our our company is super beautiful, you know, like it, and it has all of these incredible people. Like we have qualities within our innovation stack that other people don't. Like we know things that other people don't, and we're able to make better decisions um, uh, because we're able to relate to more people uh, and more of more circumstances and backgrounds. And so, um, yo, it's uh, it's it's certainly hard work, but recruiting is hard work in general. And so, yeah. you should be intentional about that. And uh, and one way to solve for that, by the way, as a as a founder or an executive at a company, is to say, look, you know, my HR and my recruiting team um, should be very diverse, and and those people will be really intentional about you know going and hiring people that look like them. And then you won't see, you know, um, uh, companies that have, you know, one to 3%, you know, African-Americans or, or, or other people of color, you know, within these 10, 20, 50,000, you know, person Yeah, I think company. it's, you got to get it right in the first 10, 20 hires. And if you don't, it just steers in whatever direction you started because sure. a job comes up and people tell their friends about it and their circles might not be diverse. And so I've seen this with companies founded by Indian founders or, you know, Asian founders or African-American founders or white founders or Stanford founders. It just, you, you just start getting this click where it's like, oh yeah, we were, we went to Stanford together. All of a sudden you got six Stanford people in one company sure. like PayPal, right? And it's just like, yeah, we, 
We were all in the same, I know somebody from the computer science class, whatever, or we all worked at this company prior. We all worked at, you know, Microsoft before this. And before you know it, the, the whole company has bended in a certain direction and, and it's very hard to then reverse it, right? Because then the next person coming in is like, oh, this is a bunch of, you know, white guys from Stanford or Asian guys from Harvard or Indian guys from, uh, who are Microsoft folks. I'm not part of the culture, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying, you know, too, don't hire people of color. Um, I mean, or hire people of color just because, right? Just to oh. have inventory of those people. Like you go out and you get the most qualified and quality person. Yeah. Um, but be intentional about making sure that you're interviewing, a, a, you know, at least 50% people of color, 50% women for, for each job. We try to do that internally. Uh, and then we make the best hire, um, best cultural hire, best skill hire. Um, you know, and that's we the way always we try to optimize also for leadership. The big unlock for us was we have something called Founder University, which we realized like the launch festival got so big that we couldn't actually enjoy it or get to meet anybody because we're so busy, you know, uh, shuffling in the beginning two or 3,000 people and then eventually 15,000 people from stage to stage and lots of moving parts and unions shaking us down in San Francisco, the corrupt unions of San Francisco shaking us down. It was brutal. And then we started Founder University, which was 60 founders pre-selected who were all right before we would invest. Like maybe they're finishing their product. They maybe have one or two customers, but you know, they're, they're right before our, our entry point as an investor. And we did one for women. Uh, and then we started doing one for underrepresented founders and we let them self-select. So, you know, we would get some like, well, I'm gay or I'm trans or I'm, you know, it could be a white woman and a white woman might consider herself underrepresented. And that might be true. I mean, some people will debate it. And I, I, we didn't want to be in the debate of if you consider yourself underrepresented. So we let yourself select that. Um, and that's how we wound up having like literally two or three times the number of qualified founders who were in our investment thesis. Right. And it was yeah. a very interesting lesson for me because I give away all those tickets and you came. But yeah, still in the you, audience, the for that. even with the free tickets, we didn't there see crazy diversity. There weren't many people diversity. of color. Yeah. No, listen, I was, I was one of very few black people at that conference. Um, yeah. And, and the, you know, the ones that were there, we all really linked up um, yeah. and, and sort of, you know, stayed close to each other. Um, but, uh, but look, you know, in general, look, I appreciate, you know, the effort that you put in even that early when no one was having this conversation. And that obviously led to, you know, me, you know, learning more about tech, being inspired by the in industry and being motivated to go That's do amazing. something in this space. And like, look, you know, if, you know, a few years later, you know, I'm going to, I've raised the the most money in the sh shortest amount of time uh, as a solo founder of any yeah. other black person and without launch, like right. that doesn't happen. And so, and I'm um, so happy so, yeah. that like before the show, you said you were going to hook me up with 50 basis points and I was going to be an official <laughs> advisor to the company. Look at that make good. I, I got some shares yeah, I, in this. I don't, I don't pay for dinner when people have more money than me and yeah. I don't give wealthier people than me free things. Uh, well, but, yo, we can listen, talk. you're only about eight at this pace You're 18 months about being the person who's paying, who's buying me dinner. So you're about 18 months away from that. <laughs> and ho hopefully, hopefully. I think I'm so, actually. I'm doing a little math right now. I, I, <laughs> I know how uh, Series C's work. Uh, it's about 20% of the company. Uh, yeah, I think you're doing okay. Uh, listen, this has been amazing. Hey, would you do me a favor? I don't know if you're up for this, but um, we started a Slack room. It's called thisweekinstartups.com slash Slack. 14,000 people in it. And I want to start doing AMAs with the guests after their episode drops. Do you think you, oh, could, love you that. could spend yeah. an hour with the founders in there? Yeah, we'll love that. Whatever you need. Really? Okay, that's great. All right, we're going to do an AMA. Um, you're hiring. I know that because you just raised a bunch of money. Um, what what positions are you hiring for and where can people peruse those jobs or or hear about it? What, what What's the most pressing need right now? 
Yeah. So, um, so we just hired a COO. Super excited about that. Um, we haven't announced it yet, but, but that's, that'll, that'll be a big lift super for the company. Super important for yeah, you to get yeah. your job done. Yeah. No, for sure. And, you know, we found somebody that I have a lot of faith and confidence in. Uh, and so I uh, can't wait to just, you know, operations be a people. Let me tell you something. When you get the right operations people, then all you do is just keep adding more and more incredible operators to your business as the CEO. Your life becomes amazing. Yeah. Because shit that was taking annoying shit that was taking an hour or two of your day, it just comes to you in like a little Slack message. Uh, this is done. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that was 10 hours of my week. And it's done. Yeah, we, we already, I've already realized that. Look, when I started this company, I was like, look, uh, one, I think the opportunity is inevitable. So like someone's going to build this. Like we get, we're, we're, we have a head start, right? So hopefully it's us. Um, but you know, uh, from all of the other, you know, things that I've been a part of, the the one and single most important thing, um, I think the misconception is that it's the idea, but it's really the talent. It's the team. Yep. So I was like, look, I'm going to, I'm going to hire the most talented people, the most, um, extraordinary leaders in every function that I can find. And I'm going to bet on talent. And if I get all, uh, this amazing collection of people together, like there's no, there's no reason we should fail. And I went out and gotten guys like Neil, our CTO, who was at Headspace, was a YC founder before. I mean, he, him, he alone maybe, you know, recruited 10 or Headspace 12 people legit. to the company. Yo, Headspace has some amazing talent. I don't know if Rich, the founder, loves me given how many key people uh, on his team works at our company. I've never met him Whatever. before. Whatever. I mean, listen, they've been at I it for imagine. like, they've been at it for six or seven years. People are fully vested and yeah, people you know, want to go on to the next people thing. People want That's new challenges. Yeah. Talent, you know, as you get fully vested and maybe you want to, it, it's reasonable for somebody who is fully vested and spent five years at a company to want to then go diversify their holdings by having a four or five year stint at your company. I mean, it- yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we, we have an incredible culture. Um, you know, to, to your, to, to your point too about, you know, adding incredible operators, there was this one moment where Neil joined and there was this guy that we've been interviewing and, you know, we mentioned it to him and this guy like, you know, runs data. He's over at fair on their growth team, a big part of it. And he, he worked at Headspace before his name is Ryan Lee. And, you know, I was sort of dragging my feet because I didn't really understand what he would do, how he would add value to the company um, at that time. Um, and Neil's like, look, man, you have to just pull the trigger. Trust me now and pull the trigger on this guy. And he's going to make our life incredibly easier. Uh, he's going to add value that you can't even quantify. And we added him. Um, uh, uh, and man, Ryan Lee is just amazing. We literally call him our data guy. Like he set up our data infrastructure. He gives us insight into everything to help us make better decisions. Um, he does the same for our publishing partners. Uh, he's just an amazing leader and spirit on our this team. This is why you got to read Ovitz's book. I mean, you can tell that you got the Ovitz influence because he talks a What Ovitz did really well is he would bundle the talent hmm. and then he gave him leverage over the movie studio. So he'd be like, listen, I have Spielberg and I got Michael Crichton and uh, Dinosaurs. Hmm. And I got this actor and this actor and uh, here's your package. And he would bundle the talent together, right? Hmm. And it was really hard for, it was really easy for the studio to say, okay. And then he got a piece of all five of those people's oh, yeah. uh, project. And then- they, when they package things like this, they got a piece of ownership in the overall project. And my understanding was Jurassic Park, that franchise kept giving CAA, you know, like tens of millions of dollars a year just for having packaged that one franchise, right? Wow. So we just, and that's the power of like talent. And when you get those operations people, I, what I've worked on this year, or the last two years, is having all the operations people duplexed, which is a 
term for putting two hard drives and two hard drive controllers at a PC when I was an IT guy. But every single function has two high-performing people doing the same function. And so they can alternate and they can take on other projects. And if a person's on vacation or a person were to leave, it just the system just keeps running, like yeah. just full capacity. And when those people, when, they're, when their processors are not burning at 110%, when you put two of them on and their processors go down to 60%, they don't break. Yeah. The processors don't overheat. So yeah. they're actually running cooler, which means they enjoy the job more, which means they stay longer, which means they have more cycles to think about how to optimize this better. Right? Yeah. And that's yeah. that duplexing thing. I always tell founders like- I love that. Yeah, just try to, and and then you. I just tell people explicitly like, your goal here is whatever job function you have is to have somebody who can do it as well as you or better. And then yeah. you both can then work on what's the next phase of leveling all this shit up. Yeah, it's that it's that uh, old saying: A's hire A's, you know, B's yeah. hire C's. Yeah, always, yep. always, you know, always. optimize to find A people to hire the A people. Look, we're hiring for product and engineering, obviously. You know, some biz ops roles, a couple other operational roles. Um, you can go to playverses.com slash careers. Um, you Perfect. see some of the open roles, and we'll and love to, to have you join. We're in uh, we're in West LA, so we're uh, on South Barrington and Exposition, um, right right around the corner from Riot and Activision, actually. And so you can oh, wow. walk to either of their offices. South so, Barrington, I know that. So you can go out. What is that little Tokyo area it's on South Barrington? Oh, like, a Sautel. Sautel. Oh my Yo, lord. Yo, Sautel. Yo, Sautel has some amazing restaurants. You get that Planchek um, burger? Is that still there, Planchek? Oh, uh, Planchek is there. So I don't get the burger. But that's amazing that you know that. And I do get sandwich? the chili cheese fries because that reminds me of Detroit. They don't yeah. taste as good and they also have beans, but like, you know, it's the closest I like the I Detroit pizza. You guys got you got uh, some yeah, legit pizza in Detroit. Yeah, okay. no, there's some amazing I, that's actually the one thing I miss. Um, you know, being here, the pizza's not that great in LA, but you know, we have Jets and Buddies and Bob's Pizza back in Detroit. All of those places are amazing, deep dish pizza. Yeah, there's no um, I'm trying to think of any pizza in LA that's worth going to like to drive to and, and I think the answer is no so I've been eating Lucifer's I don't know if you've eaten no. that um on Melrose and WeHo um uh. and that's like the best like when I first moved here you know what is it thin crust like, or medium crust it's thin crust yeah it's thin crust it's, yeah see thin crust thin, you can do well outside of like some places just the medium crust or thick crust they can't do well yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they have medium crust options too, but uh, but yeah, everyone loves Fresh Brothers here too. I'm not a big Fresh Brothers fan. No, that's thin no. crust. That Fresh Brothers um, is not good. Yeah, I like. You know anyway. what I like is this Hi Ho Burger. Did you try that in Santa Monica yet? Oh, of course. Burger? Yo, listen. I used to. I used to. It's I was crazy. probably one of the first customers because we were in Science's office for you know a while. Actually, like nuts. I started. I started in a, like a closet next to Mike Jones's assistant with like yeah. five or six other companies. And then, you know, now we're in a 17,000 square foot building, really beautiful. Um, and, uh, and, you know, when Hi Ho first opened, like I would go there, um, take a bird scooter down there and just like, you know, like literally living that Santa Monica lifestyle. Yeah, I would burger. I would- on the on the lime scooter, the bird scooter. <laughs> no, uh, uh, the are place you next to it, Wovo, is also very good. The, what, the pasta place. The pasta. I think it's the same owner, by the same way. Same owner, are, it is. Yeah, there's the same yeah. as Sugarfish and uh, the the Nizawa Sugarfish Road. is right across the street too. Yeah, yeah. Are you are you an investor in Bird or Lime? I'm. I'm not an investor in either of those. I'm an investor in Uber. Okay, cool. Well, that's even better. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think Uber is going to run over those. So to yeah, speak. I'm a, no, I I'm think a big... that Uber winds up buying Bird eventually. My friends are all the investors in Bird. I think Bird wins. Yeah. Um, I think Bird is a great business. I think it should be a subscription business. I think they this consumption base is the wrong model. And that but I think they're they they built like that 3.0 scooter, so they build their own hardware now. Yeah. So it doesn't break in three months. It's not like off the yeah. shelf. 
and the batteries work better. And I think if they just made it a subscription where people paid, you know, 20, 30, 40, or 50 for, you know, unlimited, whatever, or you can keep the scooter at your house. Yeah. Then I think they could get, you know, oh, man, I, I just like you're doing subscriptions where people don't have to think about consu- One of the things I love about subscription businesses, because we invested in Calm, Steezy, the dance mm. company, which is in downtown LA, and yeah. Fitbod. Those are our, I think, three biggest right now in subscriptions. And- you can charge a low price and give massive value and still build a really sustainable business. Yeah. It becomes very sustainable because if your people are getting value, you can keep adding to the product but keep the price the same. Yeah. That's the magic to me. Like if you're charging $64 for a season, they do two seasons, that's 130 bucks. If you just made it $99 a year, unlimited seasons, yeah. and then you added like special weekend events or one-offs or whatever, mini seasons, brackets, and it's just the same price. People are like, these people are idiots. It's $99 and it keeps getting better, which is what's yeah. happening with Disney. You think about the Disney library. Every time they do Clone Wars, every time they do Mandalorian, the archive gets richer and richer, but yeah. it's the same goddamn price. Yeah. I mean, we, we're, we're, we're experimenting with our business model. I think we want to go to a uh, sort of school site fee. So, you know, find a way to drive enough value between five and $10,000. Uh, on average per school. Um, uh, and I think the, the comp there is a, a company called Huddle, H-U-D-L. Yeah. They're a video analysis platform and they're 99% of the high schools. I think their average, you know. I would also just let people off the street, 000. just buy it for a hundred bucks a month. Yeah. So we're going to do that too. So we're, we're moving, we want to move. Cause then you our, get the bottom our, up, right? Like if I want to do it in my school, yeah, exactly. we just all do a hundred bucks and you set it up for them. Boom. So we want to do, so essentially how we think about it is like different product solutions. And so our scholastic business between high school and college, you plan on behalf of these schools, let the, the schools pay for that. And then as a consumer or player, you can do other forms of competition, um, uh, you know, for some sort of Amazon Prime type subscription. And maybe you bundle that with different IPs and like, you know, that drives the cost down for those additional IPs. But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, we're, we're looking into a bunch of different ideas there. There's a, there's a, there's a, it's a lot of value already packed into that $64 beyond just being able to compete for a state championship, but you end up getting neither the game or the contents of the game for free. So in our deals with the publishers, um, you know, something that might cost all of the contents of the game that might cost you 5,000 hours or, or a thousand bucks to purchase, you get all of that for free uh, when you play. So that's a platform. lot of value. Yeah. So a ton of value. I mean, or you get the game, right? That costs 60 bucks for free. So, um, and it's only $64. And so and we don't pay the publishers anything for that value, um, because we're driving so much value back to, to their, their esports programming. Do these kids use email or just their mobile phone? Like, do you have their email addresses? Are they starting yeah, to get so email, email, email and mobile phone? Yeah. Yeah. See, I think this SMS communication is, I've been thinking about it with inside. I built a little gateway and I'm thinking like just getting your news like five times a day on SMS could be a thing. Yeah. Just oh, no, for there. sure. Kids are, they certainly are way more engaged on SMS or Discord than, uh, than, than email. But, you know, obviously we have I to. I heard also there's a Discord them. server with like, there's Discord servers with like 50 to 100,000 people. Oh, easily. Yo, Discord. Have you had Jason on the show yet? No. Somebody lock Man. that up. I'll, I'll introduce you if you want. Yeah, yeah, um, please. I was just talking to him earlier this week uh, through email. He, uh, man, Jason's an amazing dude runs an incredible company. They're probably 250, 300 million users uh, within the last few years. Um, uh, and they're, they're, I don't know who's going to buy them, but I know it's going to be for a lot of money. And so- It's got to um, be Amazon. It's got to be Amazon. Yeah, no, so Amazon bought Curse. So the budget, you know, they probably couldn't, Twitch probably couldn't unlock that much budget for Discord. It probably cost them a couple billion dollars. So they end up buying the- you know, the original sort of discord called curse for just probably a few hundred million. Um, but yeah, like, is uh, it growing or no since they bought it? I think they've, I think they've sunsetted it if I'm not mistaken. I oh, think they got to just go buy, they got to bite Twitch. the bullet and buy discord and then just bundle it with Twitch. Right. 
Yo, Discord. Yeah, I mean that'd be that'd be an incredible you know family Combo. of companies. Yeah, it's like With Disney Amazon. buying Marvel and Pixar and Star Wars. You start putting these things together. Oh yeah, I think uh, or Facebook. Like I, you know, the guy who one of the former Facebook heads can't buy of Discord. Anything. Facebook's not allowed. They're in the penalty box. Oh, okay, that's fair. Uh, I mean, look, Facebook uh, has Although been trying Trump to build. Trump might different- let them go because you know they love Trump. Hey, look, I have no comment on that. I didn't take money from investors who were public supporters of Trump, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I was... Uh, and, no, I mean, you, know, you have to stand for something or you fall for anything. Like, you can I mean, it, there's people who can't come out and be like, I am for this person. Like, yeah. Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg were supporting Hillary. Yeah. Peter Thiel was supporting Trump. Okay, fine. Peter Thiel yeah. speaks at the convention. Yeah. Sheryl Sandberg and Zuckerberg say nothing. They wouldn't even... Do any, all behind the scenes. They were not publicly coming out in a major way for Hillary because they're so scared of losing any users on their platform. Yeah. It's just like pathetic. It's like stand for something. Like pick your candidate. It's America. You can have a candidate. Why are you yeah, so the, scared? For well, money? the challenge is like you can't separate um, the identity of the, the the person or the entrepreneur from the uh, from the company, you know, especially a guy like Zuck or even or even Sheryl Sandberg, um, uh, even though she's not the founder. Um, and so, yeah, look, I get, I get it. That's a challenge. I mean, that's a challenge for 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 me too, or you and any anybody I else. I um, make I make my feelings known. I don't want. I I'd rather have like twenty percent less audience. If some people's people are going to judge me because of I want to participate in the American process of elections and tell yeah. you about it and, and state my position. Like we should be able to state our positions in America. And not have people be like, well, then I'm not going to ever use your service. Like, I'm not going to yeah. listen to This Week in Startups because you're pro Bloomberg. I got so much blowback when I made Bloomberg my avatar on Twitter. And hmm. I was like, listen, I want Bloomberg in there. I know Mike. He's super qualified. We need somebody who can operate us out of this mess. I did like you, Mike. Did Bloomberg. you think he had a really good sh- – I mean, did you think he had a fair shot to even even win? Obviously, I think if he started know. earlier, he would have. He got – you know, he was up at 20% at one point. Yeah, he if he had started earlier, he would have. He started too late. Yeah. But I mean, he's the most what, qualified out of the group. I mean, look, I'm not really that excited about any of the politicians that have uh, that have thrown their hat in the ring to be president. Um, oh, you know, if disaster. I could, if we if we could just go back to Obama, um, that would work for you me. You know, and let him groom a groom a you know a, a cabinet of, of you know young leaders. Like I think that'd be our best bet. Yeah, I'm just. It's so weird that after all of this, we're left with like a 78 year old guy who. Doesn't feel super sharp. Like, I can this guy even do a second term? Like, there should be something. I, I almost feel like there should be an upper age limit or a mental oh, acuity sure. test. Like, maybe seventy-five is the limit. Yeah, I mean, look, I think we should, we should, we should probably try to optimize for for youth and our presidents because they're closer and more relatable to just what society looks like today. So, you know, that's what we have 40, to flip. I agree. Forty to sixty, you know, something like that. Um, you yeah, know, I think it's super difficult to be you know, um, electing people who are 75, 78, 80 years old to be president. Like 50, to, have 50 some. to 60, 50 to 65, you're still that sharp. Right. You got enough wisdom. Yeah. And you know who you are. You've had enough life behind you. That seems that 50 to 65 seems like a real good window to me. Yeah. Look, I think, uh, I think above that is just super challenging. Like, you know, we're concerned about, especially in, you know, look at this pandemic, like we have to be concerned about our president's health. Um, yeah. And so that's why, you know, whom their vice president is becomes even more important and right. who the other leaders surrounding them are becomes super important. And so, you know, I certainly think that we should start, um, going in, you know, in the direction of trying to, you know, optimize for younger, more savvier, that could be more the, relatable leaders. This could be the move for Biden. Biden should say, listen, I'm going to serve out as much as a term as I can. 
and I got this incredible number two. And think of us as partners. At some point, I may retire. At some point, you know, if I uh, for the second term, maybe I just hand it off, whatever it is. But you know, this is going to be a collaboration. He should just name his entire cabinet now, and just yeah. come out and be like, "Look at the all stars. Here's an all star team." That's why I think Bob Iger should be in there. Yeah, oh, that'd Disney. be interesting. You read Who Bob you Iger's book be- yet? I haven't. I haven't. But uh, Ooh, so but I, look, Bob Iger is a legend. Yeah, no, deep respect. Super I was actually operator. very surprised. Super surprised when he stepped down. Um, well, he's, and I was he's done surprised. it all. He's done it all, man. You got to read this book. His his bio is incredible. He's Who, done right, it what, all. Are you, what are your thoughts on uh, on Travis Kalanick? Uh, you know, it's I know I know he's very polarizing. It's my guy. That's my guy. Yeah, I love. Greatest, I love he's going to be one of the greatest. One of he'll, he'll go down as the greatest C, one of the greatest CEOs of our generation of all time. He sees it five years before everybody, and he is. Um, relentlessly focused and he can solve every problem and he's not afraid to to mix it up if he needs to give me your top five top five entrepreneurs travis and elon uh right up there up top i mean those guys just are unstoppable the forces of nature um after that i think alex and michael from calm are just an incredible team hmm. uh you know the robin hood team vlad uh it's pretty amazing i'm talking my own book here for those two but uh who else on that list? You know, you have to appreciate what Zuckerberg did, but I don't like the way he did it, so I can't yeah. put him on my list. I don't think he's all that creative or bright, I'll be totally honest. Um, I think he just copies people real well, so I don't give him any credit for that, but he's really good at copying. I like Kevin Sistrom um, from, from Instagram. Instagram. I think he yeah. got that. Uh, he figured it out really so, well. So too early, man. Yeah, way, Classic way story. too early. Way too early. Yeah. Yeah. Who's I guess it's hard, list? right? Because. Because he could have been Kevin Rose, right? Who didn't sell early enough. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It's Timing is just hard. You know, yeah. th- here's the thing. If you know it's working and you love doing it, don't stop. Kevin Rose, people got in his head and it was too much pressure for him, I think. And he couldn't just stay focused on iterating. And if you look at Reddit, Reddit just kept going. They didn't yeah. like do some like huge thing and try to be what they weren't. They just kept going. And sometimes if you don't quit, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and compounding interest, you know, it just something becomes very big. Even without the founders, it just kept growing and then the founders took it back over and it kept going and Yeah. Reddit's kind of like this like juggernaut. It won't go away and it just keeps baking and growing. Who's in your yeah. I, I picked top 5 of like current CEOs. I could go back. You know, yeah. and obviously I would pick you know some other people if I was going backwards. But who's in your top yeah. 5 right now? Stuart Butterfield, Slack. Slack's um, legit. Yeah, big, big Stuart fan. Um, Travis, obviously. Um, yeah. I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm in my office. I hadn't used my home office until, you know, the last few weeks because our office is so close to my home. And so I'm designing it and like decorating it. Yeah. And I have some art coming and Travis is going to be on the wall right behind me. Uh, him and a, a handful of other entrepreneurs. Um, love it. Uh, but, uh, cause big, big Do you Travis. You know Travis fan. or no? No, I don't. I, right, I saw I'll him at Soho up. House once, but uh, I'll set he's just up. a beast, man. Yeah, he's big a beast. respect. He's for beast him. mode. Um, he's he's beast mode. He, right yeah. now, he's just not doing any press. He just head down working yeah. on cloud kitchens. Yeah, and talk about timing. He sold all of his Uber shares. Everybody's like, yeah. "Oh, well, that was a stupid trade," and then the market collapses. So he looks smart. Now he's going to deploy all that cash yeah. in a down market. He's, it's going to be like one of the most brilliant trades of all time. Yeah. I mean, look, I think the, the one thing from reading Super Pump, from talking to people and even hiring people you know, who were early at Uber, it's like if he could have got culture and HR right, investor relations right, 
you know, probably you know, he's probably not is not in, he's probably still even at Uber um, today. Don't, don't um, be surprised. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Don't be surprised. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. But I, I, I'd say surprised Travis. Steve Stewart, Jobs did it. Why can't Travis? That's true. I, I guess interest. He has to be interested in it. Um, no, I don't. But, I think what's going to happen is I think at some point the board's going to be like, okay, Dara took this this far. Yeah. And it's a it's you know it's growing, but we need to own cloud kitchens and we need yeah, that exactly. guy back in the seat. Yeah. And then they'll I mean, be like, Dara was a good steward of the brand and he got it you know to whatever sixty bucks a share and yeah. It's stable and he got it through this weather storm, but let's get that guy back. And when the board yeah. flips over a couple of times, it's going to kind of be like Steve Jobs back. And they're like, you know what? There was some magic here because look at Uber now. They're like, people are like, okay, they're managing the business. It's getting- They're not even know, aggressive anymore. There's no aggressiveness. They're just like, you know yeah. what? Let's just get to profitability. We don't need to launch new products. Let's just make these products great, which I understand. That's what the public stock market wants. Yeah. But if Travis was there, he'd be like, what can we buy? What can we build? How do we get this going more aggressive? And I think Dara is like just a great operator. So yeah. it reduces the downside risk, which is important because people thought that Uber was going to be a zero and fly off the rails. Yeah. There's no way Dara is going to let that happen. He's going to run the business properly. So you remove the downside risk, but you cap the upside. Yeah. Yeah, right? no, for sure. I'm, 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 I'm super long on Uber. Um, super long. Good. Yeah. Makes me feel yeah, good. No. So, uh, but, uh so, so, so Travis Stewart, um, uh, uh, Jay Z, obviously, like yeah, totally. So many parallels. One of the best entrepreneurs um, ever, uh, especially given just the circumstances. He hasn't obviously done a lot in tech, but just you know, a brilliant mind. Don't think he um, needs to. Uh, yeah, well, I, you know, hopefully he does though, because it'd be it'd be good to see you know black culture and hip hop. We always you know talk about and promote entrepreneurship, but we're not actually supporting and standing next to the people who are building this sort of next wave of companies leveraging technology, which it's is really the like future. And so a lot of false starts. Like Carmelo started his thing, Nas start Nas started his thing. Yeah. Everybody's kind of dabbled a little bit. Um but I think like if you just look at Instagram and who the top users are, yeah. Like Instagram is black culture. Yeah, no for sure. Yeah. And Twitter is black culture. Twitter yeah. was black culture so much that they, they had to change how trending <laughs> topics works. I don't know if you know that story. Oh, I didn't know that. I've told this story before. Um, this is like inside information that um, uh, the African-American community was having so much fun trending shit on Twitter that mm. the rest of Twitter would see all these trends and not understand them. Oh, wow. And they're like, okay, I don't understand what's trending. And I, I click on it and I still kind of don't understand it. Yeah. So then they were like, okay, we're going to customize trending topics to your location and to who you follow. Oh, wow. And they rebooted it because, and it, it happens to me sometimes. Like, I don't know if you have this happen where K pop just takes over your trending topics. No, that, that never happens. To so me. I have, because <laughs> I'm in San Francisco, I think K pop's very big here. And like all of a sudden yeah. I get all these K pop stuff and I'm like, oh my God, who are these people? Like, I, I don't, is there a, turn boy band off because all these fans of the boy bands and there's five members of the band and there's three or four songs and then there's the three or four people they're dating so all of a sudden mm. 20 of this your top 20 15 and i'm like you can't ban i'd have to know each of the what is the name of the what is it bts oh yeah yeah i've, I've heard of that group i've never listened I think to it's bts is the big yeah, group yeah and i'm like i gotta i'm literally thinking of looking up the names of each of the people to mute Oh, just to mute that keyword. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I definitely am a, a, a mute profiles from certain people, mute keywords. Um, Mute's the best yeah, because you no, can, like, people are like, oh, you're following me? It's like, absolutely. 
Look, I, I'm a massive Twitter fan. I'm I'm so disappointed, and um, you know, just you know, where they are today. I think they should have been a lot bigger, uh, and certainly more impactful and influential in in today's you know society. You know, for sure, given the influence of the product. Some some of that is obviously the back and forth on management. Um, obviously, Dick came in and really helped you know grow that company. They sort of lost a lot of product vision after that. Um, uh, they haven't really iterated on the product that much. They haven't you know necessarily. You know, Jack figured out is too. Like cerebral, I think. I think he's great at like architecting and conceiving of the product. Yeah. But I don't think he has that aggressive Zuckerberg or Travis or Elon ambition. Yeah. And so I think his ambition is to not break it and to maybe yeah, do fair. other things. Yeah. And I like Jack a lot and it's fine that's running his, his company. So he started it. Uh, yeah. He should have, uh, well, he needs to get whomever at Square. Like he needs to find his equivalent from Square because I mean, Square's super aggressive on the product front. Uh, yeah. And they, uh, they're just, they're just, you know, I love Square as a company. You know, Disney uh, almost bought Twitter. And uh, in the I didn't book, know that. Bob Iger explains why he backed out. They literally had a wow. deal. It was approved on both sides. And like days before they were going to announce it, he was like, I don't want to deal with all of the hate speech, policing hmm. speech, bots, and the political ramifications was like the straw that broke the back, like this thing swinging elections. I don't yeah. want to be the person who has to just, because remember he had um, Roseanne Barr say this like crazy offensive shit oh, on there, yeah. racist stuff. And then you had Trump, you know, yeah. like his shit. And like just, he's like, I, this is the antithesis That's of the lot. Disney brand. Yeah. And he had to just get out. Like social media does not work for the Disney brand. It's just not controllable uh, and family friendly. Yeah. No, uh, I know Twitter was supposed to buy Twitch um, before yep. Amazon or, and Instagram. or Google did. Yeah, and they and they and they had a product. They hired a head of product, and I, I don't I don't know who he is, but didn't believe in it. And so well, look they, how they, they fucked up they Vine too. Yeah, they should they sunsetted Vine because Unbelievable. of cost. And and look at TikTok today. Look at it, Vine, today. TikTok is Vine. Yeah, no, I mean even even if you think about like behaviors on on Instagram, like uh, Vine and all of the biggest the people who help. Uh, popularized Instagram were a lot of original Vine stars. Yes. Um, and then and you look at Melvin Gray, Periscope. Guys. Yeah. Now, uh, Instagram Live is totally that could have been, Periscope. Yo, and that could have been, that could have also been House Party too, you yep. know, uh, even though like the Meerkat guys went on a final House Party, but like they were on to a, a good trend with like social video um, and broadcasting. Um, See, this is, yeah. having a house of brands is what Twitter should do. And then to have yeah. a house of brands, you need a leader slightly different than Jack. You need somebody who can manage eight personalities who are yeah. running eight distinct businesses that share a common architecture, which is the ad handle. Yeah. I would run the shit out of that because I would just be like, I put eight people in charge. I'd bring them in for quarterly meetings. They would pitch to each other what they're doing, what their performance is. And then I would just fire whoever the bottom person was and I would give more money to the top two people. Yeah. And I yeah. would just run it like Lord of the Flies, like Game of Thrones. I mean, in some ways, you know, Facebook has done a little bit of that. Um, of course, less yeah. connectivity across the brands, but um, but yeah, for sure, I think you know Zuck has done a good job at um, you know picking picking early winners, best acquirer, and, yeah, and and putting resources behind them and integrating them within the Facebook ecosystem and and then leveraging all of the you know growth network that he has. To, to I grow actually them. think Jeff Bezos is maybe the best entrepreneur of this time. Dude, I was about to say. So my forefish, Jeff Bezos, he's probably my number one in general. He's definitely uh, Mount Rushmore, yeah. Yeah, and my fifth is uh is probably a toss between uh Drew at Dropbox or, or Brian at Airbnb. Um yeah. uh, love both Brian, of those guys. I love both of those guys. Brian is just I the 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 back channel on Airbnb right now It's is, tough. They were too scared to go public and they're too scared to do the layoffs. Yeah. And that that loan that he took, man, a lot of a lot of it's a heavy interest rate. 
well, I mean, why wouldn't you lay off half the team if the business is going to be demolished? Like he just, I mean, there's, there's loyalty to your team yeah. and then there's running the company off the cliff. And I, how does this thing go public now? Well, brand. Yeah. He's uh, I think, I think, you know, that's a, be a, a terrible brand hit and that's just not like the Airbnb way. Like they don't believe in that. Yeah. It's just, it's, I think it's going to be the, the back channel from people I know who are shareholders in that company is like a massive high level of frustration that they didn't get the company out public. Yeah. They didn't they get that and they could have easily. So they were scared to go public is what somebody told me on the inside. They yeah. just they didn't want to be under the scrutiny or whatever. And then now all these options have to be regranted. You got these crazy loans. Like it is a really dicey situation there. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think uh do you think there's room for a, a startup to come in and disrupt them when things go back? 100. To, 100. To I actually have the idea. Oh, well. It's, have, easy, uh, it's a really simple idea, I think. Instead of taking a carry fee, you know how it's a membership fee? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, a percentage fee? I make it a yeah. membership fee. So you pay depending on the price of your Airbnb. If your Airbnb is $100 or less a night, you pay um, uh, $100 bucks a month to be on the platform. If your Airbnb yeah. is between $100 and $300, you pay $250, basically one night a month. This is to the host, right? To the host. Yeah. And the host pay a subscription fee and there's no other fees. Oh, yeah. I mean, I wonder how many hosts they have. That So the number well, of properties they have- Well, it would, it would wind up being depends. millions. So yeah. you, I mean, if you think about your subscription business you're talking about, yeah. you want to hit 100 million. Well, this would be a million, but instead of paying, you know, hundred, you having 100 million paying $100 a year would be 10 billion. This yeah. is a million people a year paying 2,000 or 1,000 a year on average or 2,000 a year on average. Yeah. You know, you get to a lot of money. That would be a very disruptive way to do it. And then you could figure out other ways to add services on. Yeah. No, they, it's just, uh, it's probably just a little bit smaller than their, their current vision. Hmm. But, but I definitely see that as an opportunity to have predictable revenue. Um, or maybe they make that even as an option to start, um, to say, look, you can, you can either do transactions or you can do this subscription, just give them some consistent predictable revenue, especially during downturns That's what like I'm this. And I think Twitch, it. Twitch has like one of the most robust business models, right? Between like advertising, subscription tips, like all of those things that they baked in, yeah. even Twitch Prime, like, uh, their business model is just so great. Um, I'm also surprised that like Instagram is, uh, has, uh, not, you know, monetized or built creator tools right now. Like they, people should be monetizing their like Instagram. Absolutely. Lives. They should be YouTube. Um, they should just go heads yo, up against man. YouTube. They should give everybody who's doing live should be able to put ads in their stream. So when they need to Easy. take a bathroom break, they Easy. do a, they do an ad and they should just give a hundred percent of the advertising in streams to people. That's what, if I was running Instagram, I'd say, all the ad revenue you get 80 90% goes to you when you're or running streams how revenue. many streams would there be yo i think there's like uh so i've been watching versus i don't know if you've seen these yes. but these are like yeah the two two artists kind of battle it out yep. yo like uh 4 million people tuned in to Teddy well, I was Riley also watching the other one where people were dancing oh yeah so that was the first one that nice. was <laughs> yeah that was crazy uh, yeah no, there's there's a big opportunity around that. I mean, like if you if, if it was just behind a paywall, like pay per view style, like yes. you know that's big revenue. And people right now, especially, would have like you know For did sure. that. You know, imagine like David Dobrik, like he's not he's not even making YouTube yeah. videos, but if he got on live and like just talked, and he had a he could do advertising or or put a paywall for like some sort of subscription to that content. Like millions of kids would be. I just think it's all going to go subscription. Advertising yeah. just is so hard to do. Like yeah. if you get to scale, like people are like, oh, you should make this week in startups subscription and like it's like well i'm doing something different i'm using this podcast to to get deal flow um and because i'm interested in doing it and it makes seven figures in revenue so that's fine it pays for everything yeah 
so it's kind of hard to go backwards once you hit scale. Like Joe Rogan can't go backwards, but for new stuff like the athletic, it's like if you build it from the bottom up, paid, Love the and it's high quality, and it's like, well, do I want to read the information like, too? The information, but you want to read yeah. like some dipshit writing about the Knicks, or do you want somebody who's actually like getting paid a lot of money or a decent amount to just obsess over the Knicks? Yeah, you know. And R.J. Barrett or whatever, you know. Yeah, no, that's a... Oh, I know you're a big Nick. You're going to be a future owner of the Knicks. Uh, Listen, Knicks are undefeated during coronavirus. <laughs> so this is the one silver lining for me. We're undefeated. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I and I hope James Dolan is okay, by the way. I yeah, know a lot no, of Knicks sure. fans were cracking jokes, and I know it's like... it's. I hope they do. hash it out with Spike Lee, too, because that's kind of ridiculous. That's why. Um, I mean, the, the, the whole thing with Oakley, to me, like, Oakley should... When Oakley comes to the Garden... Everybody should bow their heads and give him a standing ovation. And when when they when he gets up to take a leak, there should be a standing ovation. That's yeah, that's how I feel about up. Charles Oakley. Yeah, him and Lee, Spike Lee. I think uh, both of them deserve apologies and they deserve free tickets. I've gone uh, in that entrance, by the way. I, I know the entrance he goes in. I've I've gone through there with people like when I knew Alan Houston when uh, he was a Nick. Yeah, um, and I became friends with Alan Houston. Uh, he would take me through that entrance. It's just basically like. There's the VIP entrance, and then there's this like you know service. It's a service entrance. Yeah. And Spike Lee used to go through the service entrance until like the guys had courtside seats. You know how much money he's paid for those seats, man? Five thousand a pop. Yeah. It's expensive. He's got two of them. It's ten grand a game. It's four hundred thousand yeah. a year. And if the Knicks ever made the playoffs, it would be even more. Yeah. Yo, last thing too, Collison yeah. Brothers, man. Like they're phenomenal. Um, yeah. uh, they have to be. They're going to end up on that list. Um. Uh, and so maybe I'll, I'll throw them in. I know that's yeah. more than five, but like, shout out to those guys. Shout I actually out. wish that, uh, me and my brother could have built a, a company like that one day. Uh, just a I big think company. you got the right thing right now. I think you'll make it work. I think just anybody being able to come up and participate. Like, I love the idea of the foothold of where you are. Yeah. And then I love the idea of anybody else who wants to participate can participate because some people don't have schools that are big enough. They only have seven kids in the school who want to do it. They don't have enough critical mass or then kids graduate too, right? Yeah, and then they want to continue to play. Hey, so surprisingly though, we right now we're just three games live. We're gonna add. We'll probably be six or seven games this fall. But uh, thirty to fifty kids will try out um, for those three games. Um, wow. Uh, and you know the coach will build teams around that. If you think about that relative to other sports, um, uh, you know only on average thirty kids play baseball and basketball per school. Twenty seven play. Um, uh, uh, ice hockey. So this um, could be like triple, uh, 10 yeah. times. Football is 74. Look, if one, you know, football is 1.1 million kids a year who play across 14,000 schools. Yeah. 74 and it's kids in schools. Um, yeah. And it's dangerous. Um, and obviously like particularly this fall, like they're like esports is the safest option. I would, I mean, yeah. I understand why people love the sport and it's exciting to watch, but I would never let my child play. I would yeah, do so everything I could to stop them from playing, knowing what I saw in that frontline documentary about the brain lesions. Yeah. Look, I think there's, I think get. that, you know, it's, it's going to, it's trending down. Um, it'll, it'll probably still be one of the more popular sports in high school for, you know, at least the next few decades. They got to reconfigure it. Yeah. But esports is going to be just as dominant. I think we'll, we'll be two to three million kids at some point. 
um, in high school and, and probably in every high school, similarly to like how basketball, basketball, most people would assume football is in every high school, but basketball actually has the most adoption um, at that sort of per school level. Uh, and I think esports has an opportunity to follow that. And uh, and then we'll, you know, it's important that we nail Scholastic because nailing Scholastic gives us those relationships with the publishers and we're adding value back to their strategic planning. And then we can leverage that to go do other things, build new businesses with the publishers, um, with integration, with relationship, um, you know, and, and have better margins, you know, um, on whatever that ref share looks like on those new products we build together. And because of that relationship, they'll, we'll just like funnel users from their client or their con, like their platform directly to play versus. And we don't have to, you know, spin up, you know, a hundred million dollar paid ad campaign to get those users. And so, look, I think, um, you know, our strategy is working. We're super grateful to have raised, you know, almost a hundred million in 13 months, um, to be only, you know, over a little bit over two years old and be as successful as we are. And, and yo, again, just thank you for, for, you know, doing the oh. launch festival, for giving me opportunity. I mean, I literally it was not indirectly. even in the show notes and nobody knew that that was part of the story, but listen, congratulations. Everybody go work, uh, at play versus sounds like a dope company to work at. You're probably getting it on the ground level, continued success. And thanks for helping me get, uh, Mr. Ovitz on the pod. Yeah, 100%. And Jason from Discord. And Jason from Discord. Okay. All right. We'll see you all next time. Stay safe, everybody.